This is the Good Judge Men Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another session of the Good Judgment Podcast. I am Wade Paget, And I'm Tane Kell, and together we will be your hosts. The Good Judgment Podcast is designed for judges, lawyers, and others who are interested in judges and the law and procedure that occurs in a courtroom. Now, our focus is on Georgia law and Georgia judges. We normally address issues dealing with substantive law and procedure, but occasionally we have some other topics that we think might be of interest for judges to consider. For those who have been listening to our podcast, we want to thank you and hope that you'll tell somebody else. And don't forget, folks, if you want to contact us, you can send us an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on the web at goodjudgepod.com. Today's podcast takes us into a slightly different direction. Many of you have reached out and asked for podcasts on topics dealing with evidence, any evidence topics. So we've created a shorter version of our traditional podcasts that we're calling Evidence Essentials. That's right. We have heard your cries and we are trying to respond. No, seriously, each time that we have a recording session, we plan to record a brief podcast on a selected evidence topic. Our idea is that a short one-issue podcast dealing with individual evidence topics is far better and more helpful than trying to address everything in the world of evidence in a single podcast. Additionally, we've invited a non-judge guest, Mr. Garen Mueller, into the studio to help us with the conversation. Garen, tell everyone hello. Hello. Well, that was kind of literal. Um, <laughs> Garen was my staff attorney in Augusta for several years. He went on to the district attorney's office and now is in private practice. He's our first guest on our podcast who is not a judge or former judge. And so we're pretty excited. Garen, tell everyone a little bit about you. Well, thanks for having me. I'm a plaintiff's attorney in Augusta, Georgia at the Burnside Law Firm. We handle personal injury cases. You know, we want to keep these kind of short, Garen. Um, so <laughs> let's dive right in. Um, Garen, what exciting evidence topic are we handling today? Well, the business records, public records, and the related exceptions to the hearsay rule. Scintillating. Tane, tell our audience about your thoughts that you normally share with young lawyers about learning the rules of evidence, particularly hearsay. Sure. When I teach young lawyers, I tell them first and foremost that I believe if you as a lawyer will master the hearsay rule and all of the exceptions to the hearsay rule, the law, the law in the courtroom is your oyster as far as being a uh, trial attorney, because there are so many people out there who simply don't understand what hearsay is and is not, and don't know the exceptions to the hearsay rule. In fact, when I turn to them and say, counsel, is there any exception that would allow this to be admitted over this hearsay objection? I almost always get a deer in the headlights look. During these podcasts, we are frequently going to be using the phrase, the hearsay rule. That rule says that we do not generally allow hearsay into evidence, but like all good rules, there are exceptions to that rule. First, for a statement to be considered hearsay, the following things have to be true. It's got to be a statement. It's got to be made outside of the trial or hearing where that statement is being offered, and it must be offered to prove the the truth of the matter asserted. So if there's evidence in a trial which is made up of a statement made outside of the courtroom in this hearing and offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted, that would be inadmissible hearsay, unless it falls within an exception. There are a lot of details wrapped up in the heading of hearsay, but we're not going to fully unpack that definition today. Instead, we're going to focus solely on the topic of the business records exception and the public records exception to the hearsay rule. Okay, Garen, just like when you were the staff attorney, quick quiz. (laughs) What's the hearsay exception number for business records? 8036, the business records exception. Excellent. Tell the folks what the logic is behind the exception for business records. 
it generally boils down to if a business wants to remain a business for long, their records better be pretty accurate. Generally, we accept business records as being more trustworthy than other out-of-court statements. The requirements to admit business records under Rule 8036 are, one, the record is the type routinely made in the regular course of business. Two, the record was kept in the ordinary course of business. Three, the record was made at or near the time of the occurrences set forth in the record. Four, the record was based on sources who were acting in the regular course of business in making that report. And then five, and finally, the sources were basing their report on their personal knowledge. You know, podcasts are terrible places to read statutory definitions. So, one of the most important things to remember is the record should be made in the normal course of business. Conversely, a record made in anticipation of litigation does not qualify as a business record because we are only willing to trust the accuracy of records that are made without knowledge that litigation is happening. However, once the accuracy of the record could be tainted or shaded by the pending litigation, that reason for relying on the accuracy of the records evaporates. If the document was made in in response to pending or threatened litigation, it does not qualify as a business record. (laughs) Additionally, under Rule 8036, the record can include opinions and diagnoses, That portion of the rule is different from Georgia's prior law and causes some lawyers to hyperventilate. I'm in charge of all sound effects, by the way. (laughs) If the opinion or diagnosis is normally and usually a part of the business record, that is hospital records, for example, the record can be admitted as a business record. Medical records usually contain, quote, statements from nurses or doctors or therapists or phlebotomists and other medical personnel. The fact that the record contains hearsay from a variety of people who treated the patient does not require the court to exclude the record, provided that the hearsay from the various people included in the medical record is a part of what normally is included in a medical record, such as the one being offered. 8036 allows all of that information to be admitted as part of the business record of the hospital. So, Garen... Judges are not typically involved with the mechanics of how lawyers give notice that they intend to use business records. Why don't you discuss that process a bit? Well, the party seeking to admit the business record under Rule 8036 must lay a proper foundation. And that party can meet the foundational requirement in one of two different ways. There's the old way, where you can call a witness into court at the hearing to testify that the record was kept in the ordinary course of business, or the new way, by filing a written declaration with advance notice to the other party. Now, under the new way, a party can offer a business record by way of written declaration instead of calling that live witness. OCGA section 24.9.902.11 and 12 describe the procedure for offering the business record in the new way. The party wanting to introduce a business record by written certification must provide pretrial notice of their intention that gives the other party a fair opportunity to consider the records and to respond. While it is best for such certification to be sworn, it does not have to be sworn except under 902.12. We're going to add a sample notice for business records under the new way of laying the foundation on our website, goodjudgepod.com. So, Garrett, what if the other party objects to you using that written certification instead of calling a live witness. Can they prevent you from using the affidavit under 90211 and 12? Well, generally, no. However, in the past, even after providing notice and certification, I have been required to call a live witness to lay that proper foundation. How long were they on the stand? Three questions. <laughs> nice. Not to get off the topic, but I do want to touch this as we go by. Evidence of hearsay also potentially has a Crawford problem, but only in criminal cases. 
some people don't know 100% what a Crawford problem is, so let me address it right quick. You know that the Constitution says you have a right to confront all of your witnesses. That's under the Sixth Amendment. So even if you allow hearsay, even if it fits a, an exception to the hearsay rule, it poses a Sixth Amendment problem. Business records are not subject to a Crawford objection unless the content is, quote, testimonial. You'll remember Crawford only applies to criminal cases and testimonial evidence has been defined as evidence designed to further a prosecution instead of, for example, just get 911 help or just get medical help, etc. So if you have a drug test prepared for this particular probationer during a probation revocation hearing, that would be testimonial. So you could not just use the business record. That person would have to come to court and be cross-examined or confronted under the Sixth Amendment. But as I said earlier, if your opponent doesn't have some mastery of the exceptions to the hearsay rule or the hearsay rule itself, those exceptions are waived if they're not objected to or not asserted at the time of trial. That's true. Now, let's move on. Public records are different than business records, and they have a different exception, which is contained in OCGA Section 24-8-8038. And there are three types of public records. The first is activities of a public office. Garen, you got an example? Sure. These are mundane records like a property deed or a car title. Hopefully not like our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Second type of public records are matters observed pursuant to duty. Garen, you got an example of that? Sure. Entries in the GCIC, police report if offered by a defendant or in a civil case, intoxilizer reports, speed detection certificates. But remember, These are not allowed in criminal cases against the accused. They are okay in civil cases, though. And then last but not least, factual findings resulting from investigation. Unless, Garen? Unless the information supporting the investigation lacks trustworthiness. Remember, uh, the authentication provision for public records is 249920. So this is different than the old rules. The old rules we used to go by uh, all those many years ago said that hearsay was illegal evidence and had no evidentiary value. The new rule says that hearsay comes in unless a timely objection is made, and that's contained in OCGA section 24-8-802. So, Garen, give us a conclusion to this session. Okay, the most important things you need to remember, the test for a business record is that they be made in the normal course of business and not in anticipation of litigation. 8036 business records, 8038 public records are different, and they have different rules. As the judge, even if the evidence qualifies as a business record, if the surrounding circumstances call that evidence's reliability into question, the judge can rule it out. Business records are authenticated under sections 902, 11, and 12, and public records are authenticated under Section 920. So, Garen, that wraps up your maiden voyage on the Good Judgment Podcast. Any deep thoughts? Ending script. <laughs> Don't read that, Garen. <laughs> that was in parentheses. You're not supposed to read that. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Jim Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Without them, we really could not do this. And thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit some of our stupidity and awkwardness. Hey, but nobody can get it all. That's a good point. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council Superior Court judges who allowed us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court judges across Georgia. And thanks to our NGAO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. 
You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else with an acronym or alphabet name. Or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com if you have any praise. And contact someone else with any of your complaints. (laughs) But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send those comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcast. Once again, I am Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap this session up? No, let's just turn it over to the studio audience. And the crowd goes wild. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.